0: Thinking three again. Missed one a few moments ago. There it is. And down it goes for his first NBA
1: hoop. I don't call it today. You know, I just
0: made it rain. Hold me back, fam. A
2: below average
1: three-point shooter. There's six. I got 50 biscuits. Hello and welcome to episode five of the Pick Swap podcast. I'm your host, James Brand. I'm here with Sean. What's up, Sean? What's going on? And our first special guest on the pod is co expert and editor of Section 215 and lead Sixers writer for the Philly Sports Network, David Esser. How's it going, David? What's up, everyone? I am
0: absolutely pumped to be on today.
1: I love it. I love it. I'm, we're super excited. Um, this is the, your voice of choice for the Philadelphia 76ers. So we're going to get right into all the good stuff that's been going on recently. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm really excited about the news of Ben going to the fore. And at first, I was a little bit i um, hesitant to like go all in but from the stuff I've been reading with Shea going to the one and Joel's excitement about it man I could I couldn't be happier so how do you guys feel about that?
2: I mean first off like my original opinion I wasn't too crazy about it just based on like there's something about Ben with the ball in his hand which is how dynamic he is as a passer that like I think we should emphasize that as much as possible but the more I hear it like talked about by like all the guys on the team and Brett Brown about like how good shakes looked in the position. And also like, it doesn't make that much of a difference in the the long run as long as like it's the best five on the court. I'm kind of like starting to love the idea. And I just love like shake getting like all these minutes and like stuff like responsibility kind of thrown on him instead of him being kind of like a, a a question marker and X factor guy. Now that he's starting to have like a real role, I think is going to benefit him a ton.
1: Yeah.
0: So for me, I actually I care less about Ben being at the four. I think no matter where he is on the court, he's going to be insanely productive. I'm more excited about Shake Millen. and this has been something I've been screaming about for like a year and a half that this kid is super super talented. I mean, you watch him play, he's 6 foot 6, 7 foot wingspan, yeah. super pure jumper. I mean, it's silky smooth. It comes out so nice. Like the yeah. fact that he's in the starting rotation. You now have a proper just pure dynamic shooter I mean this is what Markel Fultz was supposed to be in yeah, this arc. exactly someone who can take the pressure off Ben a little bit let him play off ball still let Ben run in the, in the full court let him do his thing when it comes to the half court setting having a guy who can run the pick and roll who can throw some lobs up to Ben who can knock down open shots who can space the floor for Embiid. indeed I mean I'm I'm freaking pumped for it
1: I know and we and we feel the same way we've been talking about shake like literally since the first episode like we're both really high on shake and the thing I think the underrated portion of Ben playing the four and I think what's like, kind of like misconstrued from the start is when you say, oh, Ben's going to the four, you think, oh, he's not going to be doing the normal stuff. I like him playing the four defensively because that just takes away the extra pass to get him the ball in transition. You're going to see right. him go coast to coast so many times. And then offensively in the half court, we're going to see him as the screener, which I think is his going to optimize him completely. Like I, I, I love Ben as a screener, uber athlete, big, strong guy. And he's really creative around the rim. And I, I just can't wait for the first time where, Shake takes it left off the screen, bounces it to Ben and he throws a lob to Joel. I just, I'm, I'm excited for it. I can't wait, but
2: yeah, I, I see a lot of like, uh, in the way we saw with the, the Pelicans this year, how they kind of put Lonzo down low and had him get rebounds and start the break like right away. I see that going like a lot of the same way with Ben. Cause it's kind of the same thing with just with open court and him like driving. Cause there's nobody that can push the floor, like the way that Ben does like in the NBA. And uh, also like shake fits exactly what they need, like on it, on uh, both ends of the floor, too. Like, he still has, like, the length on defense. He's still – and, like, just opening it up, being able to shoot. And, of course, we see, like, the the three-point clips with him and Ben in practice, which everybody's loving.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, James, you mentioned
2: the idea of running him in the –
0: as the screener in the pick-and-roll, and and I think that's really interesting because there was a point earlier in the season where Embiid went down with his hand injury. And Brett started running some small-ball lineups where Ben was at the five – yeah. It, but he was, and they were using Raul Neto at point guard, and they looked great. <laughs> I mean, they were competitive. And that, that's Raul Neto. Like, he's not very good. And the idea that you could be that successful with Neto, right, running the point guard, imagine what you're going to do with Shake Mill. Even if you have, like, Alec Burke subbing in at point once a month, yeah. like Josh Richardson, just the idea of letting Ben do everything because he really is that good. I think we're not even going to get into the Simmons criticism because it's. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> I know. But running
0: him at center, power forward—it doesn't matter as long as you're working him into the offense. Whether it's as the screener, as the point guard in transition, you're going to be a successful basketball team.
1: Yeah, and I and I look back a couple games last year in the Nets series when he had that thirty whatever is thirty-three point game against the Nets in the playoffs. He was running a lot of off the ball, and he's so athletic. It's it's a constant mismatch, and I don't even want to. I don't want to be the guy that says, "Well, if he could shoot, but man." Looking at, I mean, the the Sixers' Twitter blew up yesterday, as it always does when they get a practice shot of Ben shooting a three. But in a scrimmage, the Sixers posted their Twitter video of a scrimmage yesterday, and Ben caught it on a swing pass and just launched from deep. looked pretty smooth. I watched his YouTube video yesterday or this morning, I think it was, and I I went nuts because someone asked him if he's if he's going to shoot more and all. He just his response was, "Watch me in Orlando." So we'll see. But how do you guys feel about that with Ben, the potential of him? actually starting to pull it from deep
2: I mean it's kind of one of those like fool me wants things like I don't <laughs> want to buy into it completely but I also like am starting to fully believe into it and like just like the threat of him shooting would make such a difference which is something like that's frustrated me just because like like you don't have to be a knockdown shooter at this point just like being able to shoot it because we just see how much like the floor shrinks with people packing in because like they know he's not going to shoot it and just like him pulling it from deep once in a while will open things things up so much for him to drive and just the entirety of his game that just him pulling it once in a while would make such a difference. My
0: thing with the whole Ben and his three-point shooting, the thing is if Ben Ben rolls up in Orlando and he's got a beautiful jumper, I mean, he's LeBron James. Like, he's literally a younger, (laughs) faster, you know, like he's he's literally LeBron James. I think it's a little silly that people get so worked up on that because he's nearly averaging a triple-double without shooting the basketball. So like who cares? Like if you can do all that, it just doesn't matter. You're right. If he rolls up and he's chucking up threes left and right and he's shooting midranges, he's LeBron James. If he's not, he's still a two time all star.
1: Right. And he's still
0: really, really good. Does it help? Yes. I also think they can win a championship without him shooting threes. I think plenty of players in today's game shoot too many threes and plenty of players don't shoot enough threes i don't think it's the end all be all i think people just like to get worked up because it's it's philadelphia sports it's the sixers we got to be upset about something it's just kind of the one thing that oh we have this crazy great player but and you look across all the sports i mean you can talk carson wentz and his injuries like there's always something with our star players and that just happens to be the thing with him i don't think it's a huge deal but i mean that's just me
2: yeah i think like the lack of three-point shooting overshadows so many good things that he do that he does that people like get so caught up in when like he makes such of an impact on the game in ways that like go beyond the stat sheet that everyone get just gets so like stuck on the three point shooting.
1: Yeah, I I've never been higher on a player than I am on Ben Simmons. And like even just in the last season, watching his um, defensive ability improve so much, especially from his first season, like people talk about, oh he's lazy, he doesn't want to he doesn't want to improve the shot. He completely ch- turned into an X factor defensively for this team and has become the most versatile defensive player in the league. And to, to me and a lot of Sixers fans, defensive player of the year, candidate at least, if not the defensive player of the year, we talked about in an earlier podcast how he guards one through five more than any other player in the league. And like, I don't know, that's, that's honestly more impressive to me than him just chucking from deep and shooting low 30%, like him becoming the, arguably the best perimeter defender in the league. That's more impressive to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, he was, he was a bad defender in college. That was one of the biggest knocks on him coming out of LSU was he wasn't a very good defender. And just nobody talks about that, that he went from being a pretty bad defender, he was pretty lazy on defense. So now, in my opinion, he's the best defender in the NBA just because of the idea that he can guard one through five. That's, yeah. that's crazy. You don't see that in yeah. today's game anymore.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Um, to move on from that, um, we've seen a lot of things, and it's weird that Tobias Harris constantly – well, happy birthday to Tobias Harris, by the way. But yeah. it's weird that he always brings up – the locker room issues and his like all the interviews he's had since being in Orlando, he's talks about, Oh, our chemistry hasn't been great. Our chemistry wasn't great. It's understandable, but do you guys see anything with that? I think Tobias is a good leader, but do you guys like see anything with that?
2: Uh, I've been like very impressed with the way uh, Tobias has stepped up and just like, I watched an interview with uh, Matisse and then one with uh, Mike Scott as well. And they both were just all about how, like, how great he's been with everything like leading zoom calls with the team and like he's been super active with like black lives matter and like the social movement within the team and how they want to keep that going which i think is all like awesome and like the uh just like him being able to like bring that together cuz i don't i don't think by any means the like chemistry issues are as big as they're made out to be but just a guy that can like glue everybody together i think is worth like on borderline worth the contract that we give him to be honest yeah See,
0: I actually, I disagree with the point that the chemistry issues are overblown because I think they're actually pretty significant. I think there was a few times throughout the season where Josh Richardson said something, Al Horford said something, and Bede clearly looks frustrated on the court at times. But I think Tobias being the guy to step in and say, hey, look, our chemistry wasn't good in the regular season. We weren't cohesive as a team. And we, They had a lot of new, uh, new players coming in, a lot of moving parts. But for him to sit down and say, hey, listen, everybody, we're not where we're supposed to be as a team, as a unit we need to improve that heading into Orlando. I think that's super, super important.
1: Yeah, so do you think it was, like, so the thing, another thing that I get, like, just, I don't want to say, like, I get very mad, and I am, like, a passionate guy, obviously, about the Sixers, but when I see, like, I saw a, a first take question yesterday morning was, would you rather would you trade Embiid or trade Simmons? And they'll never work together. We literally have an actual feud between Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, and that was like a story for half a day. And this perpetual story is Ben versus Joel, as if they can't work together. Do you think it's Ben and Joel, or do you think it's Al and Joel, or do you think it's just overall the frustration of not winning as many games as they probably should have?
2: I think, like, well, pretty much all the issue, I think, are – because of on court stuff and just fit and guys not being able to play. They want or get the shots up. They they want. And I think like frustration comes out with that. And like, obviously this team was looked at as like the up there to compete for the Eastern conference and beyond this year. And they just haven't lived up to that at all. So I think a lot of disappointment with that. Like when we see it, we're sitting in the sixth, the sixth seed versus where like our talent is up there with like, other than the bucks, I don't think there's a team in the East that's as talented as we are right now. And, uh, So I think a lot of it's just, like, frustrations with that, that it comes out in bad ways, like we see with Joel, that obviously JoJo isn't known for keeping his emotions to himself. But I don't think there's, like, deep-rooted beyond, like, the surface issues that, once again, like, once you're winning, things go away. Yeah, I I don't think there's –
0: everything I've heard just from being plugged in with the team is there's nothing, like, personal between the two. They love each other. I mean, there's a reason they handed them both huge extensions. They want to keep them together. Any sort of on-court issues you can look at and say, well, you know, there's this, you have Al Horford. I think people's expectations around these two is also just insane. I mean, the idea that you're expecting two, you know, sub-25-year-olds to go and win a championship in their third year and their second year, it's like relax a little bit. I mean, they they went seven games with the NBA champs last year. Yes, they're the sixth seed this year, but pretty much everyone on the team has missed time. Like, take a deep breath. Even if they don't win the championship this year, it does not mean blow up the whole – Embiid Simmons duo like just give it some time let it breathe Jordan it took him a few years to win a championship it took LeBron a lot of years to win a championship like you don't have to rush this thing
1: right I totally agree with that um and I I think that even if this year doesn't work out I really think just straight up run it back like let let Shake evolve in this in this role and just straight up run it back because I think that they can figure it out and another piece that I think is like a really underrated portion of what's what this team will look like going forward is Al Horford on the bench because I'm still, I'm still on the, 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 Horford bandwagon. I don't think that he's the Al Horford of five years ago, but I don't think anyone expects him to be. Is he overpaid? Probably. But we talked about this. I, I wrote an article and I said, when you have an expensive car, you have to have expensive insurance. So Horford coming off the bench and being a five-time all-star coming off the bench, I don't see a better backup center. And I really think that he's going to be like, vi- like very vital, in a, a playoff run, a deep playoff run this season.
2: Right. When you look back to next year, like not having a real backup center is what completely killed us and like knocked us out of that playoffs. And like as much as we can hate on Al Forford for like the fit hasn't been right. There's not many backup centers, like as high quality as he is for that. And if he can like focus on his role, do his thing, come in, play good minutes. Like that's all we can ask. And that will like speak volumes just moving forward in the playoffs just with that.
0: I feel like I'm being set up here because if you follow me at all on Twitter, I, I, you got to trade them. I, like I can't buy this narrative that you need a $30 million backup center. Yes, you need a backup center. They have a first-round pick this year. They have two high second-round picks. You can get a rangey young athletic center who will do perfectly fine in the 15 to 20 minutes a night you need. If you can get talent back, like a buddy healed or someone who can shoot, great. If not, you dump him. You get out of that contract. You reinvest that money into the bench. In, in, a, in a fairy tale world, it all works perfectly, and Horford's the greatest backup center in all time, and we win 11 championships in a row. I, I don't see it happening. That's just me.
1: Yeah, I, and, and I think that if you get a deal that's like, you know, if, if you could get a buddy healed in a trader, if you could get, I don't know, C.J. McCollum, which is like the highest of highs that you could go with an Al Horford trade, like if you could find a way to, to do that, or how if you could make every dream I've ever had come true and get Zach Levine in some way or shape or form – by all means, do it. But I think at this point, right now, especially for this season, I think he could be pretty crucial going forward. Especially with the fact that I think you can you can allow uh, Joel to take some minutes off here and there without feeling like you're losing so much. Obviously, yeah, I, there's, there's a huge I, step down, but it's not that it's not like him to Greg Monroe like last year.
2: I would very much be on board with trading out after the season, but I just think realistically, like the what we can get back isn't going to be high just because like. He's 34 years old on a max deal coming off the worst year of his career. Like, I don't think there's going to be a crazy market looking for him. So I think it's kind of like one of those, like, obviously just focusing on right now, like, let's see what he can do this post season. Let's see how things work. And if we can get out from that contract, there's plenty of guys who can fill that role. Just guys not named Greg Monroe or Boban or. Yeah. Hello Quinn. Amir Johnson.
0: He was Yeah. Amir Johnson.
2: Johnson. But, uh, I don't know if we can find a way to move on and make money work and open up things. I think that's like, obviously the best option, but I think we're going to have to end up learning to love big Al. <laughs>
1: we'll see. We'll see. Um, so how, how, how seriously do you take um, the reports that Joel is in the best shape of his life? Cause I feel like I've heard that, I don't know, six or seven times throughout the last two seasons, but apparently he took his workouts and, and getting back into shape very seriously before, Um, taking his trip down to Orlando I mean that's
2: that's always the the biggest concern with Joel it's just that like when he has time off what's he gonna do with it so the fact that he has been like so committed and like I believe that he is just because of like the way he's been in the facility due to like his injuries and coming back from that and like he just kept working from there like I believe that but how much of it makes like a difference in the long run I don't know like I think conditioning is going to make a huge difference for this return just because like is going to be a major question mark for every guy for how much they've kept with it and kept working out. So I'm very happy about it, but we'll see.
0: I don't know if you guys are baseball fans at all, but there's kind of a running joke heading into spring training each year that every player on the team is in the best shape of their life because that's all they tell the reporters. So, I mean, I, I don't think Embiid's going to be in bad shape. I don't think he's going to be in, like, hyper you know 45 minutes a game shape i, I think you'll probably be in similar shape he was a few months ago he'd give you 30 35 minutes a game if you're lucky i don't put a ton of stock into the reports that he's in the best shape of
1: his life yeah no i can agree with that and uh it is like i get caught in the uh i don't know if i just haven't been around like long enough to like but i I felt it every time every time it's the report oh Joel's doing really well I just feel good. You know what I mean? Like, I just – they make me feel good, and they they set me up for the failure every time that he gets injured or he comes in eating a cheeseburger before the game. But (laughs) – or getting his own separate order for the Chick-fil-A for the plane ride. But I I don't know. I I am excited to see him back at full strength, Ben back at full strength. And I think – and before we even move on, I do want to say I think Richardson, Josh Richardson, is going to play – like, I almost forget about him when I'm talking about the Sixers myself. So I think a lot of teams kind of forget about him, go by the wayside. I think he's going to be really important as well.
2: Yeah, he very well could be. I mean, this, like, his role is going to slightly change with this new, like, uh, shake playing Milan and with that. So I think that could be beneficial to him. And I think, like, just with, like, this new starting five that we're going to look at, everybody's going to have, like, a much more natural position for themselves that I think that'll help Josh. Because, like, he's, he is better than the way he's played for most of this year.
0: I actually actually – wrote a josh richardson article this afternoon it hasn't been published yet but it's going to be out tomorrow for uh, philly sports network and it was looking at what his role is going to be and where i kind of pinned it to is i went back and i looked at all the games where he was most successful and he tended to score around that 25 to 30 point range against playoff teams so he put up really good numbers against really good defenses and i looked at that i was like why is that happening and then he's struggling so much in other games and it was primarily that when he was allowed to play point guard in the pick and roll that was when he was most effective so my, my, my big kind of proposal here is pair up him and Horford. Let them kind of run things on the secondary unit and let the Shake, Harris, and Bede Simmons crew run their own thing. And I think you're right. I think if, if you can get the best out of Richardson, playing more as kind of like a hyper six-man Jamal Crawford role, I think that's when he's really going to show his value on the Sixers team.
1: So do you, you're saying to move him to the bench and bring someone else up or just have him kind of fall into the point guard role when everyone else takes their first break?
0: I would say that the second option, you don't need to make a big PR statement and and quote-unquote bench him because that doesn't really help. I think you run him out with the starting five, but then when Embiid gets his break and maybe kind of stagger the minutes between him and Simmons, because I think really with the starting lineup, you can throw anybody out there. You can throw Korkmaz out there, and that core four of Embiid, Harris, Simmons, and Shake is going to still do their thing. So I'd rather stagger the minutes and let Richardson play. When, when the all-stars are off the court, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I like that idea. And, and I've kind of said that too. And before it was um, – before Shake like, was 100% the starter, I had kind of thought about even moving, like, Shake in and Matisse in. And also that's another question I have for both of you is do you think Brett, – Brett has been notorious for really shying away from rookies in playoff time and crunch time. Do you think that come playoff time, Matisse is still going to have a pretty solid role in this team?
2: Yeah, I mean, he always kind of uh, leans toward veterans when we go down the stretch. But I think a lot of it with, like, with this team is going to come down to, like, riding the hot hand. Like, if Mike Scott is playing well, he's going to fill. He's going to play some time. If uh, Matisse is still playing well, I still think Matisse will get a shot because, like, I think he's played himself into a role at this point. Like, he's proven himself enough. An and even though there will still be, like, the rookie mistakes and that kind of thing, I think he will have a chance to, like, prove himself at least. And same with Ferkan and, like, I think all these guys are going to be a lot of, like, who's playing well, let me slide them in, keep them going. Like, I don't think there's going to be too much of a set with that. I pretty much agree with Sean here. I think your first seven
0: uh, guys in the rotation are going to be set, and then after there it's just going to be who's hot. I mean, if Matisse comes in, he hits two threes and has two steals, he'll probably play the rest of the night. If he's cold and, Mike Scott's hitting threes, he'll probably play the rest of the night. And then you kind of have question marks with – burks and uh glenn robinson the third but it's really whoever's hitting their shots whoever's spacing the floor for simmons and indeed that's who's going to get the most minutes in the playoffs
1: yeah yeah I, I can agree with that i'm so when they first traded for gr3 and alec burks i was like beyond excited i was like this is going to fix all their problems they did a great job they only traded away second pick second round picks and then about two games in, i was like what the hell is going on neither of them have made a three they're both terrible why did we do this but I feel like this time where they've, they've had the chance to figure it out. Like I do, I hate saying that, that this break has been a blessing because I don't want to say that it's like, it seems insensitive to say, but for the Sixers, I, I think it's a really necessary time off to kind of get these guys all together. And we had reports of Glenn Robinson complaining about his minutes and things early on. And then just recently him saying that he really likes Brett Brown and, and applauded him for the way he handled this break. So like, do you guys see them having a role? Like you kind of said, you weren't sure. Do you see them having a bigger role in this, uh, the remainder of this season? And then also, do you see them potentially signing back with this team?
2: Uh, I think just based on money, we're probably going to sign one of them back at the end of this year. One of them's probably going to walk, but I think, uh, as far as this return Burks, I think has a legit shot to take some like backup point guard minutes. Uh, uh gr3 i think it's gonna be right in there with that same kind of if he has the hot hand but i like like a lot of what he's saying when he he's been pretty active in like talking about how he likes brett brown and a lot about uh tobias as well so i think that's cool uh again like they're shooting like neither one of them shot legit anywhere near where they did when they were with the warriors when they came to philly so if they can come back and like find that range again it'll make an immediate difference on the team so they could find a role that way but we'll see in
0: regards to them coming back, I personally am leaning towards no. Uh, right when they got traded, it kind of went under the radar, but they were actually pretty upset they got traded because their logic was we're having career years. We're about to be free agents. We're going to go get the bag, right? You know, the sons are going to come yeah. in and overpay for us. <laughs> yeah. And now they're not – now they look terrible. And maybe they pop in the playoffs and everything's But for them, I think they're probably going to money chase this offseason because that was probably their logic going in. Neither of them has really ever gotten a big contract in their career. Doubtful they take a pay cut backup role with the Sixers. Maybe one of them has a great playoffs and they fall in love with the team. I don't know. It's tough. I would lean towards no. They might get a – you know, again, if they're hot, they'll get a big role in the playoffs. But I would probably say Brett Brown's going to lean away from using them a ton just because they're not going to be in the team's future plans.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I like to look back to um, the the game against the Clippers at home for the Sixers. And, like, that's been my, like – line of success for them so far because that was the first game they moved out of the bench Ben and Joel played well together Alec Burks had a big second half and Josh Richardson had a huge fourth quarter so it like and Tobias played really well in the first half so it was like it it checked all my boxes of like a fun Sixers game to watch it was competitive against a really good team and all of our guys seemed to have at least a stretch of time where they were playing really well or did at least one thing well Um, so I don't know. Seeing Alec Burks play well in that second half and and make a, a pretty big layup towards the end, I don't know. It's exciting. It's it's fun. I hope I I tend to have a problem of like letting go Sixers players, and they, even though they've only been here for a short amount of time, I hope I hope they find a way to at least get one of them because I I think they could be effective one way or another. But um, going back to the the home game against the Clippers, obviously the Sixers played exponentially better at home than they did away this year. What do you guys think the impact of no fans at all is going to have?
2: I'm very much like torn on this because
1: like obviously everybody knows
2: the major differences like 29 and two at home, which is crazy versus 10 and 24 away, which is very below average. So it's kind of like, it's going to be a a very unique like situation. Cause it's not really going to be home or away games for anybody, but it's kind of going to come down to a lot of like in these guys, like motors to have the, have the flip switched and like ready to go. And uh, like, I don't know. I'm kind of torn. A lot of me is like worries about it that these guys are going to take it off, but the bench has talked a lot of like being lively and bringing the energy. So as long as, as, long as that happens, I think like we're in play.
0: Real quick on the Alec Burks GR3 free agency discussion before I touch on the, the fans. I actually had, I, w- I was able to sit down with Ellen Brand during a conference call earlier wow. this summer and one of the questions I asked him was regarding the team's draft picks because they have five draft picks and he wasn't shy in saying that they're probably going to use all of them that's at least what he alluded to obviously Elton wow. Brand, he, could, he could trade all four picks the night before if he really wanted to that kind of leads me to the idea that they're probably going to be trying to get in cheaper and younger this offseason using a majority of their draft picks so just keep that in mind when you're thinking about free agency because That's that's at least what Elton told me a few months ago. Uh, In regards to the fans, yeah, I mean, it's just totally going to come down to leadership. You know, can these guys find a way to internally motivate themselves to perform at a high level? Because, yeah, they're not going to have crazy, psycho Philly fans uh, (laughs) screaming at them to make a layup. So it'll be interesting, and I'm glad they have a couple kind of quasi-regular season games to figure that out before we jump right into the first round of the playoffs because that's important.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I I mean, I'm – hopeful that this has become their home like by the time they play the games there's not going to be much travel there had they had been there for a certain like a good amount of time and and i mean i don't know if you guys have seen like matisse's vlogs and things but which if you haven't you should check them out they're they're funny but it's like it's a it's a really cool inside look at the team and the way that matisse and, and maybe it's just matisse but the way he interacts with all the other guys and the way that they interact with him it seems like they've kind of found a balance they found a pretty good like a, a place to at least get along you know what i mean and not that they all have to be best friends but if they all have this very clear common goal which they should um i think that they can figure it out and uh hopefully win some games but we'll see i guess and i'm i don't know i've been i've never been more excited honestly i don't know if it's just because the this, this season got taken away right in the middle but i'm beyond excited for these uh eight games and then going right into the playoffs
2: yeah obviously it's like not ideal circumstances for like a lot of bad things going on with everything but like this is like ultimately a pretty fun time for all these guys like it's like a big AAU tournament as like adults and like once they're like settled in and like all comfortable like I think as much as there's like complaints going on like the food and we see the pictures and all that like I think these guys are going to enjoy it once everything ball starts happening everything's like all settled so I think it's going to go over well once we're all up and rolling and we're finally starting to see that and also like I've said this before. I think the Sixers have been the team that benefited the most from this break just, like, because it's a chance to hit, like, the reset button, uh, realign everything, see what was working, what's not, and give it another shot. So I think, like, the playing field is very much leveled in that regard. Yeah, and, and spare me with the asterisk
0: stuff. Like, whoever wins this championship, they deserve it because this has been absolutely crazy and bizarre to tell everyone to stop playing and then pick it up two and a half months later so if the Sixers win it I think it's a legit championship if the Celtics win it I still think it's a legit championship so I'm not I've seen a lot of people talk about are you going to put an asterisk on this championship I, I think that's ridiculous
1: yeah yeah for sure I saw someone I saw someone tweet um a while back if the Sixers or would you ra- would you rather the Sixers not win this year like if it's going to become if it's going to come with an asterisk I was like hell no Like 100% bring the Larry O'Brien home to me. Like no way am I not taking a championship this year uh, regardless of the circumstance. But either way, um, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from a sponsor and then we're going to get into some, some of the fun stuff that we'd like to do here. So we'll be right back. And welcome back to the pick swap pod. Um, We're going to get into some fun stuff here. We're going to talk about um, who we think the best sixer is. At every draft slot that they've been taken. Um, and then we're gonna do another quick pick four for you guys. So, obviously, um, for the first overall pick, do you wanna go 20 down or do you wanna go 1 to 20? We can go 1 to 20. 1 to 20? Yeah. All right, so we're gonna go by draft slot, who's been picked, and then we're gonna see who we think is the best. So, um, at the one spot, we have Fultz, Simmons, Iverson, and Doug Collins. So, I'm gonna go with Iverson here for the for the time being right now.
2: Yeah, I'm I, like,
0: that's where I'm at. I mean, obviously it's Iverson, right? It's obviously AI. But hey, yeah. g- give it a few years. It might be Ben. You never know.
2: <laughs> right. The, seeing Markel Fultz up here again hurts me a little more again. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, that's uh, that's one of those things that, like, I'll be telling my kids about was Markel Fultz. And I think every Sixers fan will at that when they get to that stage of their life. But uh, the second pick, like, some pretty underwhelming names here. Um, Evan Turner, Keith Van Horn, Sean Bradley, and Marvin Barnes. Yeah, what do you guys think
2: I'm going with Sean Bradley for mine, the Stormin Mormon. So he's kind of another unique like story because he's uh obviously so he was seven foot six feet tall, so like a crazy kind of like unique prospect. And then uh, the Sixers drafted him, and then he went spent two years on his uh uh re- religious church mission because he was Mormon. So then uh, he came back and just had not touched a basketball for, like, those full two years. So it took him, like, forever to, like, work his way back. But he kind of was a decent prospect within, like, the time he played. His best year was his rookie year, which he averaged 10.3 points, 6.2 boards, and three blocks per game. So he never fully developed them kind of into what they expected, but he still wasn't wasn't awful.
0: I mean, this was a disaster of a slot, to be honest. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I I guess – In terms of talent, Keith Van Horn is probably the best, but he didn't really play for the Sixers. Right. Uh, They drafted him and they traded him, and then he ended up coming to Philly later in his career. And, like, he was okay, but, like, I mean, Keith Van Horn.
2: Yeah. I mean,
0: Evan Evan Turner was all right, so that's probably going to be my pick. I know most people view him as, like, an all-time bust, but, like, he was okay. If he was, like, the 15th overall pick, people would have been fine with it. They just thought he was going to be the next LeBron. So I'm probably going Evan.
1: Yeah, I was going to go with Evan Turner just because – That was, like, very early on in my fandom. That was, like, where it was – started to get rocky a little bit. I feel like that's where the the chips started falling out under me. Yeah, Um,
2: I was was high on Evan Turner coming into the Sixers. Like, he looked amazing at Ohio State, and then it just didn't play out. And also, quick shout-out to Marvin Baines, the other name on the list. Uh, He he mainly played his career in the ABA, but uh, one story was he was supposed to – take a flight from louisville to st louis so it went from central time to eastern time so the uh the it said they would land before the time that they departed so he refused to get on the plane and said quote i ain't getting on no damn time machine and then
1: <laughs> a cab the other way that's uh, uh yeah wow okay that's great. <laughs> what a story yeah that's hilarious um so will move on to the third pick which so big jaw Obviously, Joel, Jerry Stackhouse, and Charles Smith. And I think Jerry Stackhouse is one of, like, those guys that I look back on that is, like, just a miss. You know what I mean? Like, just missed it. I feel like he could have been yeah. really good. Obviously, he had trouble with Iverson. But I feel like that was just a miss with them. But I'm going to go with Embiid here. I think that's pretty uh, pretty self-explanatory.
2: Yeah, I'm also going with Embiid. But Stackhouse had a pretty solid career when you look at it, like – I mean, 19.2 points per game is rookie year here. And then he kind of made a – like, he made his way around the league. But he was always kind of turned into a bench player who was a little effective and, like, good for him in that regard. But, yeah, I'm going with Embiid. What what are you all talking about Jerry Stackhouse so much for? I mean,
0: clearly, <laughs> clearly, Jaleel Okafor was the pick. Here. Um, yeah, it's Embiid. Embiid's great. He's awesome.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, we fanboy – we've had this conversation a couple of times. We just fanboy over him and Ben, like – for sixty percent of this podcast, it's just how much we love Ben and Joel, but I think it's worth it. I'm
0: with you. They're 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 great.
1: Yeah. Um, Lucius Jackson, the only ever fourth, the pick. only other fourth pick. Um, so he takes the cake with that one. Yeah. I don't know much about Lucius Jackson.
2: Played eight seasons. Career average of nine point nine points, eight point eight rebounds. So. That's not that bad. That's like average. Yeah. Drafted back in 1964. So that's your random sixer for the day.
1: Thank you, Sean, for doing the research that we did not do. (laughs) Um, So then the fifth pick, this is pretty fun. So we have Sir Charles, Charles Barkley, Daryl Dawkins, Fred Boyd, and Billy Cunningham. So a couple pretty good names here. Um, I think, I think it's Charles Barkley for me, but uh, I always, my, my, my parents were big, Daryl Dawkins fan. So, my first, some of my first memories with the Sixers was watching him rip, bring down the backboards and everything. But I think it's Chuck.
2: Yeah. I think this is probably one of the most talented draft slots out of anything on here. But uh, I think Charles Barkley is the answer. Billy Cunningham was also terrific. And Daryl Dawkins, Chocolate Thunder, awesome as well. So, I'm going with Charles, though. Yeah. I mean, Daryl Dawkins and Cunningham were pretty darn
0: good players. But yeah. I mean, Charles Barkley is one of those guys that we probably never should have let go. He's the obvious pick here, in my opinion. He's one of the greatest power forwards ever. Obviously, he never he never got that ring, but I mean, he he yeah. was fantastic for the time he played in Philadelphia.
1: Yeah. Um. So the the lone sixth pick, Sharon Wright. Again, not a, not a guy I know too much about.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: played four seasons here,
2: uh, averaged eleven point one points, six point two rebounds. Uh, his career was cut short due to a car accident, and now he coaches in South Carolina. So. Not Wait, too
1: much. What year was he drafted? I do not have that in front of me. Uh, <laughs> do you know like Do you know like the era like around this the time? Not too long ago. I want to say
2: like late eighties, early nineties, if I had to guess, mm. but I'm not 100 percent sure. Okay, fact check that.
1: Um. So there's no there's no seventh pick. There was no one taken in the seventh slot, which like. I don't know. I feel like that's a weird concept to me. Like, when we were talking about doing this, Sean, I almost automatically thought it was going to be just, like, full. You know what yeah, I mean? But, exactly. like, checking that there's no seventh pick is kind of weird to me. But um, we've got a couple decent players here at the eighth slot, Larry Hughes and Andrew Tony. What do you guys think on this one? Uh, yeah, um, Sharon Wright was
2: drafted in 1994. And go. then, um, uh, I'm going with Andrew Tony for this one. Um, he was called the Boston Strangler because he always played his right. best. He
0: his stole stomach. my
2: line. <laughs> so I think that's awesome in itself and uh he spent his entire career here in Philly uh career 10.5 points per game he at he, uh, one season averaged over 20 and uh his career was cut short due to foot injuries but he was like a he's a guy classic. that talks about as like yeah classic for Philly but <laughs> how great he was
1: yeah I would agree with that Yeah, I mean,
0: it's Tony. Again, his nickname's a Boston Strangler. Like, of course, he's the pick. Two-time All-Star NBA champion. The dude was a a Philly legend for the short time that he was with us.
1: Yeah, I like that. Um, So, with the ninth pick, Iggy, Andre Godala, my first love as a Sixer, uh, Clarence Weatherspoon, and Matt Kukis. So, I'm going to go with Andre Andre Godala here, obviously. Um, I wish him and and Iverson could have had a little bit more time together.
2: Yeah, I'm going with Iggy also, and Iggy's turned his career, he's not, he's like the ultimate professional at this point, like, he's now, like, a guy you bring in, he's a great, like, leader, great, like, we saw with the Warriors when he had, like, playing defense, he was the finals MVP, basically just for his defense in that, which is awesome, so he's a guy, like, I. he plays the game the right way, and I always loved his time in Philly here.
0: I think Sixers fans extremely underrate Iguodala. I think I've heard a lot of talk in recent years. that Like, oh, he wasn't very good. He was never a franchise but I mean, he was really, really good. It wasn't his fault we traded him right before he hit his prime. I mean, obviously, he goes to Denver. He was great with Denver. He's great with Golden State. Like, he was a really, really good player. He's one of the better draft picks I think we've had in the last 15, 20
2: years.
1: Yeah, I can totally agree with that. He's and- the guy I think, like, was always
2: tried to, like, force into a superstar role when that wasn't really, like, his style mm-hmm. of play. Like he's like he's not gonna go out there and shoot a bunch of times and lead the team in scoring, but he's gonna do a little thing, little things to help the teams all the way fill up the stat sheet. So I think he was always forced into a role that he wasn't fully comfortable. But he's a heck of a player.
1: Yeah, he also had one of the cooler um, NBA dunk contest dunks. I really liked his. You ever see that off the back of the backboard? Pretty cool. But um, so the tenth pick is funny to me. I like. I laughed when I looked at this because it's it's Macau Bridges and Alfred Payton and then Leon Wood. I'm going to go with Peyton because that was a, a pretty big um, draft pick itself um, that turned into a lot of other things. But um, just the fact that both of those guys are, like, recently picked and then traded right away is is, is kind of comical to me.
2: Yeah, both Bridges and Peyton were draft night trades, and I actually like both of them as, like, players. So, I mean, they're obviously both still pretty young. Uh, Leon Wood is – currently in his 22nd season as an NBA ref, so he's kind of more known for that than his actual playing. I guess I'm going with – I'm probably going with Bridges if I have to pick one just because I still like his upside, but not much here.
0: I I think Bridges was probably the best, like, player picked here. In terms of for the Sixers, I'm going to go with Peyton too, just because if you follow the timeline of trades, Peyton turned into Dario, Dario turned into Jimmy. Jimmy turned into Josh Richardson. So in my mind, we technically picked Josh Richardson there, and that's a pretty darn good pick to me. So I'm going to go Alfred Payton.
1: I'm on that same, like, wavelength. I love, like, making it feel a lot better in the (laughs) long run. Um, And then – so I have a funny story about Michael Carter Williams because I remember me and one of my close friends from home. um, Michael Carter Williams, after his rookie season when they traded him, I remember calling him and being, like, outraged. I'm like, they never want to win. They never actually want to, like, make this work. They just want to lose forever. And, obviously, it's worked out. The Sixers have had a better stretch of time than Michael Carter-Williams as he's played for, like, seven teams now. Yeah. Um, but he's the only the only player picked in this slot. How do you guys feel about MCW? I am I'm still, like, was completely tricked by
2: Carter-Williams and thought he was going to be, like, a legit NBA player. But uh, that obviously has not come to show. And, like, his rookie, year, rookie of the year – he won uh, averaging over 16 points a game, over six rebounds, six assists. Like, he looked like a legit player that year. But just, like, his shooting brings him down. He's now bouncing around the league. He shot, like, I, I think it was under 15% two or three years in his career now from three-point range. So, it's kind of like we made the right decision getting rid of him, but –
0: the listeners can't see this, but I'm going to show you guys real quick. I actually have a Michael Carter-Williams jersey hanging on my wall in my room. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah, I love the kid. It was a super smart move by Sam Hinkey to dump him when he did. Obviously, he saw into the future what MCW's future was going to be, and he was probably already thinking about taking a, an Australian point guard in the draft a few years later. So, <laughs> great player. I thought it was a fine pick at 11, but obviously uh, long-term didn't work out for him.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um. So we have, uh, um, I think, the second or tied for the most picks here at the 12th spot. So Thaddeus Young, Terry Furlow, Dana Lewis, Al Henry, and Craig Raymond. I think the obvious choice, at least for me, is Thad Young, um, another guy that was uh, part of my childhood as a Sixers fan, part of my, my young adolescence as a Sixers fan, um, and still producing today, man. I, I really kind of forget that he's a solid NBA player, like, he had a really good stretch with the Pacers last year, and he was playing with the Bulls this year. He's still a solid player. Yeah, he's another guy that's kind of like a
2: complete professional with, like, the way he plays and, like, does little things. Like, I was always a huge Thaddeus Young fan, and I think he was a guy that we, like, owed it to to trade as we were going into, like, the whole process and being that. Like, he was one of, like, the last pieces that kind of stuck around from, like, the team that was built to, like, compete before that. So it's kind of like I was I'm happy for him to get, like, another chance, even though he's not – Hasn't been put on, like, a contender by any means, but still good to see him out there still doing his thing.
0: I think Thaddeus is similar to Iggy in the sense where fans always felt mildly disappointed with him, despite him being a, a pretty darn productive player. The team around him just wasn't as great as it could have been. So, yeah, I'm going with Thad Young there.
1: Um, So, I never even – I don't even know if I just missed this or I just was not ever paying attention, but Tabo Cephalosha, like, I didn't even know that he was drafted by the Sixers. Um, and then Bug – Bud Ogden at the 13th slot. Um, Do you guys know the story about why Tabo Cephalosha wears Nike Air Max 95s to play basketball? Mm -hmm. So he was like robbed. I I don't want to get it completely wrong. I'm going to paraphrase here. He was robbed and he literally got his ankles broken. Like he was stood up, got his like ankles broken. And he said he could never wear another pair of basketball shoes because they never felt comfortable. So the only thing he feels comfortable wearing on the court is like Nike Air Max 95s. Wow. So that's why he wears like he wears running sneakers to play basketball, which is insane that he can even do that. Yeah. And was a really quality defensive player for a long time while wearing like running sneakers. Wow.
2: That is crazy. But uh yeah, he was a draft night trade from the Sixers, so he never actually played for us, but he's he's now 35 and still bouncing around in the league. So he's turned into a decent like role player in his time. Uh, Bud Ogden played for 2 years. He had the nickname of the medium O after Oscar Robinson, and he was never anything crazy either. So I guess I'm going with Thabo, but not much here either.
0: Yeah, I had to Google Bud Ogden because yeah. <laughs> he averaged, like, three points a game or something yeah. like that. So, yeah, <laughs> I got to be Thabo even though he uh, never actually played a game for the Sixers.
1: Yeah. Um. So the 14th slot pick is Shaler Halliman, another guy that just – I don't know if you have the stats on him, or Sean, but not someone I'm familiar with.
2: Yeah, he played one year for the six years, 3.7 points, 1.7 rebounds, and then he mostly played his career in the ABA. So that's all on him.
0: Sean, um, taking the time to look up Shaylor Halliman stats is the reason yep. you guys need to subscribe to the podcast. <laughs> I, I had no idea who that was.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and I'm going to give all the credit to him because I, I had no idea who it was either. Um, so the 15th, it's Maurice Harkless. He's the only one in that slot. Um, he's had a pretty productive NBA career. Yeah, he's bounced around a good bit. Uh, he was traded to the Magic right away,
2: and never—I don't think he ever actually played for the Sixers. But he's—he's uh, he's bounced around. He's made a career out of it. I actually like the way he plays. So
1: he most recently played for the
2: Trailblazers, am I correct with that? I, I believe he played for the Knicks this
1: year. He was on the Trail. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so then the 16th pick. There's another like loaded one here. So Nikola Vucevic, who has since become an all-star, Maurice Spates, Jurl Welsh, Christian Welp, and Jim Spinarkle. <laughs> I don't know who that is. <laughs> it's gonna be an all-time name, though. That's got <laughs> Sean.
0: You, Sean, you got the stats on Jim Spinarkle?
1: You have I to. Do not. He played uh, really
2: oh. really news, but not much there, but uh, yeah, I think Vucevic is the answer here. Uh, when you look at, like, the that big trade, the Andrew Bynum, Dwight Howard, and that, it's kind of crazy to think Vucevic is probably the best center that came out of that, which, like, nobody would have predicted at that time. Uh, but, yeah, other than that, none of these other guys. Spates, I guess, is the next best name, and nobody else ha- jumps off the page.
1: So, Jim's, Jim – I'm sorry, I'm going to cut you off quick. Jim Spanarko played one season with the Sixers, 1979-1980. Um, he averaged five points. 1.3 assists and 1.4 rebounds, and he only played 40 games in that season, and then got traded to the Dallas Mavericks.
0: What position did
2: he play?
1: Um, this says small forward, shooting guard. All
2: right, mm-hmm. better numbers than I expected to be honest. Good job, he went, on. job. He actually board. went to
1: Duke. Well, good wow. for him. Dang.
0: that's all right. You learn something new every day. But yeah, <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm going Buslavic. I think Spates is actually not a bad option here either. Uh, he was pretty good for the Sixers, and he did go on to play a. a Quite crucial role for the Warriors when they were yep. just getting into their Splash Brothers uh, Splash Brothers franchise. But, yeah, I think Vucevic, obviously, he's turned into an all-star. He's one of the better centers in the league right now. If he was on any other team than the Magic, he'd probably be a consistent guy you'd look to to be
1: one of the better centers in the league. So, yeah, I think it's Vucevic. Yeah. Totally. And then uh, we move on to the 17th spot. And for me, this is the one that got away. This is the one we – it was a necessary evil at the time. But, man, it hurts today. Uh, Drew Holiday – and then Leo Rottens is the other pick at, at 17.
2: Yeah, I mean, Drew, like, I think everybody loves Drew. And he's, like, a, a Mr. Underrated in my mind. Like, even with the Pelicans now, like, he can he can really play. And, like, it hurt letting him walk. But that was what triggered this whole thing. Like, I remember that, like, draft night when we got Noel and blew everything up and started it off. But I'm happy for Drew that he's kind of now on, like, Another has another contending team as the Pelicans start to push forward. So good for him. Yeah, I I think he's probably
0: one of the top ten, if not higher, best two way players in the league. The dude the dude does it all in the court. He's definitely yeah. one of the better players the Sixers have drafted.
1: Yeah, yeah, I actually have a Drew Holiday jersey. Now, if we're talking about jersey, I do have a Red Sixers Drew Holiday jersey. <laughs> um, so the 18th slot, we have Mark McNamara and Raymond Lewis.
2: Uh, so. I'm going McNamara. He played three seasons here, three points, three rebounds for his average. Nothing special. Uh, Raymond Lewis never actually played in an NBA game, but he was is considered one of the best street ballers of all time. So props there. I like that. Yeah, see, I, I'm,
0: I'm going to go Raymond Lewis here. You know, I'm not I'm not having this Mark uh, McNamara guy with his 2.2 points per game his rookie season. I'm going to go Raymond Lewis because that dude is like a street baller. So I'm I going Raymond.
1: I love that. And then at the 19th pick, um, I don't Kenny Payne. Sean, do you have the stats on Kenny Payne? Yeah, he played
2: four seasons, uh, 3.5 points, 1.2 rebounds here. Uh, then he went and played overseas, and he's now an assistant coach at Kentucky.
1: Just, I, I feel like I know his name. Pretty familiar. Pretty cool name, Kenny Payne. Yeah.
2: He interviewed I, – I can't remember. There were a couple schools for the head coaching job, but nothing's worked out yet. So he's probably going to be a college coach
1: coming up pretty soon. Um, And then for our final slot of the day, um, we'll talk about the 20th pick. Um, Everyone's heartthrob, Matisse Stiebel, Speedy Claxton, BJ Tyler, and Glenn Mosley. Half a season in, Matisse has impressed me a lot. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. I completely underestimated that draft pick when they drafted him. I was fairly upset when they made that pick because I was uneducated at the time, but Um, I'm going to go Matisse here, even though Speedy Claxton, fantastic name. I'm going to go with Matisse.
2: Yeah, I think Matisse is the pick. Uh, Speedy Claxton is a great name. And also a shout out to BJ Tyler. So his story is he played 55 games here, which he averaged 3.5 points, 3.2 assists, was nothing special. And then he was drafted by the Raptors in their expansion draft. And then in his time with the Raptors, he fell asleep with an ice pack on his ankle, which caused nerve damage and ended his career. Oh, my wow. gosh. Yeah. I feel like you're making some of these up, Sean, but I trust the real. Not,
0: I'm, I'm going to go with it. That's bizarre.
2: Yeah. Um, he, like, he played a little bit, but he never got the quickness back that he lost from yeah. it. He just called it. Wow.
0: Wow, that's crazy. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Thibault. Thibault is actually one of my biggest, like, whiffs. I liked him going into the draft process. I thought he was a really good player, but I was super frustrated when Elton Brand opted to trade up for him because I thought we could get a backup point guard or a backup center. I think I actually it was before I was working for Philly sports network, but I think I graded the pick like a D plus, which <laughs> looking back, one of my biggest whiffs ever. Cause yeah, I mean, he's an incredible talent and he's only going to get better.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think we're all, I think everyone that's involved with the Sixers in any capacity loves Matisse. It's it's hard not to like the guy just incredibly easy, easy going and like likable dude. So um, we're going to start with the draft pick evaluations there. And we're going to go into, Sean, like when you introduce it, we'll go into the quick pick four. So tell us what we're going to do today.
2: All right. So this quick pick four is uh, everyday superpowers. So the way I kind of looked at this is like, like stuff that like you do on an everyday basis, like not do on an everyday basis, but like it would be a real boring superpower if you were a superhero, but it would be awesome just to be able to have it, you know?
1: So why don't you give us an example?
2: So for my first pick for this, I'm going with, at any point I can put up like a three foot invisible shield that bugs can't get in. So avoid mosquito bites and that kind of stuff. So that's my, my number one.
1: Yeah.
0: one David. I do. And I didn't, I didn't put a lot of thought into this, but it kind of, it kind of just came to me. I was editing an article. It was a big old slideshow about the Phillies before coming on the podcast and it was taken forever. So my, my daily superpower would be instant editing. When I'm writing an article, I click a button. It's all done. Just, yeah. I don't even have to worry about it.
1: I feel like that could be something that might end up happening at some point. Like you might, computers might get advanced enough. Yeah,
0: that'd be great. I'm, I'm all for it.
1: (laughs) I'm, I'm all about being able to not have to make my own food. So Mm -hmm. if I'm, if I'm hungry, I can just think, okay, I want whatever is whatever I'm thinking of, and boom, pops up hot and ready for me at the dinner table. Yeah,
2: that's big
1: time. Uh, That's that's
2: better than my editing one.
1: Yeah. Well, we got, we got three more. So I'll, I'll, I'll pull up some bad ones on my way, but. (laughs)
2: Uh, I'm going with knowing anyone's name like not even just like remembering because I'm really bad with that. But if you can just like walk in and be like I know who that is know who that is. I think that's like an automatic leg up on everybody. And also I'm just like really bad with names in general. So I think that helps like a ton.
0: Okay, I'm getting very specific now. I am a caffeine addict, right? Because I'm, I'm a writer. And then I also work nights doing security at times. So I literally, I never sleep. So I need, I need a lot of caffeine. And one of my least favorite things in life is when I go to the Keurig thing. Right. And the water fill like the the water is empty. That ruins my day. My superpower, make that not exist. Always filled with water.
1: I, you know, and you said you're specific, but I must be on the same wave as you because at college in my apartment, I have like, I keep my Keurig in my room instead of out, because we don't have much like counter Mm -hmm. space. So, i when i when it's not filled and i'm like wait i'm sitting in my room waiting for my coffee i'm like oh my god i have to fill it up i have to go out to the kitchen the fill up like a cup or something bring it back it's just it's just a royal pain in the ass but i think um sean kind of on a similar way as you i would want to know directions so never have to like follow google maps just always yeah. know where i'm going know how to get where i'm going i think that would be really i think it'd make life so much easier
2: yeah that's a good shout. uh I'm also going with, uh, I don't know what I would call this exactly, but when you're putting, like, any piece of, like, furniture or whatever together, something, like, out of a box, you have to use, like, tools and stuff to put it yeah. together. Just, like, the ability to do that for, like, a quick second. Like, it's always, like, a, that's a full-day event, no matter how little, like, the, the piece of, like, whatever is.
0: Can I be can I be immune to speeding tickets for my next one? Is that acceptable? Sure, sure. Okay, you
1: can do whatever you want, here.
0: That's mine, because it was about – and I don't, I don't really drive all that fast. I drive fast, but so not crazy fast. But a little over a week ago, I, was, I come home from work, and I, I passed this area where it goes from 35 to 25, and it's for, like, 100 yards. And I didn't know there was a camera there. So four consecutive days in a row, I went by. Oh. Speeding tickets in the mail the next week. It was terrible.
1: That and is just brutal.
2: That camera speeding tickets are just not fair. Like, I don't not think that should be – Yeah,
1: that. I feel like – yeah, I feel like that's just cheating. Yeah. Uh, my next one, my next one is going to be, you know, just laundry being done by itself. So if I'm, I have to do nothing. If I I take off my shirt when I go before I get in the shower, if I throw it in the room, it just ends up somehow in my dresser the next day, completely clean.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm going a similar way with just dishes. Dishes are like the worst chore in the world to me. Like, I don't mind like cooking and stuff, but it's always like the after, like you got to take care of all that. And that was always the biggest, like, last year, like, at school, like, nobody would do it, and they would just get so overpiled and, like, take up yeah. the whole counter. And then it was just, like, if you could just snap your fingers and solve that problem, the world is a better place.
0: My last one I'm going to go with – it's a little simpler, not as cool as a speeding ticket one, but I'm going to go with just making my bed. I think whether it's in the morning or it's, like, right before I go to sleep at night, it's just a pain. It's, it's yeah. two minutes out of my day I don't get back.
1: Right. (laughs) Um, So for my last one, it's like pretty specific to me. I have, I have battled back pain for a long time. I had a growth spurt that did well for my height, but didn't do well for my uh, spinal construction. So I'm sore all the time. I can't stand for like more than a couple hours without being like really sore that rest of that day and the next day. So mine would be just to never be sore again, just to have the ability to not be sore. Yeah, that's pretty solid. Um, so I think that's going to conclude us here. Um, I hope that you enjoyed being with us, bantering back and forth, getting to uh, all the serious stuff with the Sixers. David, we really appreciate you coming on. Um, we're just going to conclude here, episode five. If you have any parting words, go follow Dave on Twitter. What's your at on Twitter?
0: Uh, it's going to be at David Esser underscore.
1: Um, and then go check out his really Sports Network stuff. And then section 215. Dave, you have any, anything else that you want to say? it was it was an
0: absolute pleasure being on i am honored that i was your guys's uh first guest always open to jump on again everybody make sure to follow the podcast they're doing some great work over here had a lot of fun guys
1: Uh, i appreciate it man um we'll definitely have you on again it was great to talk to you guys and we'll catch you guys later